y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I am your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Timothy Preston, as always. You guys listen to the Buddhist Band bringing us in, and the Horsecast channel, where you can find our, the rest of our podcasts and episodes on the show. Last week, we didn't have the episode because audio gremlins ate our footage, so... Today we're going to be talking about all the past four games, the loss to Kansas State and Iowa State, and the wins versus TCU and Oklahoma State. What went wrong? What went right? What can we take away? What is this team? What is replicable? And who is Chris Beard? Then we're going to talk about the Tennessee game as Rick Barnes comes back to Texas. What is his legacy here? Who's the real UT? And who is Tennessee? Then talk about the next crazy game in this week of craziness as Texas heads to Texas Tech. And boy, oh boy, that is going to be a fun game to watch as that place is probably going to go absolutely bonkers and sick. I, I think tickets now are like $1,000 to get into that game. And Nate, Nature Boy on the mic. Yeah, last I saw it was 225 for the cheapest tickets, and that was like a week ago, so who knows what is that now. So we'll tell y'all what to expect out of that game, who Texas Tech is, and, you know, just kind of get into it a little bit. All right, let's dive right into this. We have we have literally no time for funny business, which is this entire show. Micro, Kansas State, Iowa State, what went wrong? Those are the first two games that we missed last week. What is What went wrong with Texas? What is the issue there? Well, as quickly as possible, for me, the, the things that those games seem to be kind of like a microcosm of what we have been thinking about from a, hey, this team is struggling um, to, to live up to its expectations kind of all along. The offense just never really seems to click like we'd like it to. Uh, it feels like the actual avenue to winning games is, has been so specific, like, hey, we have to limit them to under 60 points. Hey, we've got to, we ha- like, we have to create rock fights. Um, and we've been living on that precipice of like, hey, how do Courtney and, and Andrew shoot from three? How many turnovers do we have? And, and I think in both of those games, we just we were on the, the losing side of those ledgers and we ended up on the losing side of the ledger. So I think that as as the, the season goes on here and we get kind of more and more into the into the really, really difficult stretch of our season, it'll be something to f- figure out like, OK, can they? Can they simultaneously put guys in situations where like, hey, we we know how we're going to get the best kind of looks for shooting that we can get. Who are we putting and, and trusting to have the ball in their hands as a playmaker? Um, you know, and just, and just another reminder of, of how I want to say the Big 12 is not just the number one conference, according to Ken Palm. Like it's the number one conference by a lot. Um, like it's it's not close. And, and this is just indicative of that, too. You said it right, though. If we're going to go on what what went wrong, it's Texas has, as you're right, a very specific recipe for winning. And if something goes wrong on that recipe, it's, you know, it, it's everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. It, it's 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 a brittle team, uh, you know, it, and that's sort of just Chris Beard, what he's been. It's a very dirty style, a very ugly style of, of basketball, but it's a winning recipe, but is a very, very specific winning recipe. Yeah. And I think um, we'll get to the, the positive side of this ledger in a, in a bit, but one of the biggest correlations thus far this season is turnovers force versus turnovers. And uh, 
Texas lost that battle in both of those games and, and fairly handily in one of them. Like it's generally speaking, if Texas does not win that turnover battle by a fair margin, it's going to be either a tight game or a loss. Um, there is an upcoming exception we will talk about, but that's that's sort of the thing. And that's that's what happened in those two losses as they uh, they did not win that battle. Um, and in at least one of those instances, they lost it pretty handily. Yeah, I think it's not just the turnovers. I think it's three-point percentage, turnovers, and free rebounding. throws. Like rebounding. Getting, to the free, getting to the free throw line and rebounding. Yeah, I, I mean, I well, think you I just, would... you just described every team in the country otherwise. <laughs> too. Like, like yeah. there's not a single college basketball team. It's like, you know, the, the co- coaches are going to put shit on the, on the, you know, the chalkboard or the whiteboard before every single game. Rebounding turnovers <laughs> uh free throw line and three-point shooting are like are, are are the key points in in basketball as a, as an entity in, in general but you know free throws i'm less concerned about just because that that seems to be a clear positive of this team so i'm not terribly worried about that there's not really a super weak link on, on oh i meant t- getting to the free throw line not sure not that they it, can't hit the free throws it's it's getting to it because you'll see long stretches where texas is just either not being aggressive enough getting to the free throw line or uh, they just, you know, long stretches of no free throws. And that seems to correlate with and correspond with their long streak streaks of pointslessness. Well, I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, but at the same time, I mean, they shot uh, well over 20 free throws in both of their losses. And so I, I think there was a, there, there was a stretch there where they were having some trouble getting to the line, but I don't, I think it feels like at this point that was the uh, the aberration rather than the norm. So I, I'm not terribly concerned about the free throw aspect of this, especially given how well some of the guys are shooting free throws right now. Um, I, I I have been harping on the turnovers thing for a while, and you know as as it stands at this point, uh, after you know however many the eight games they are they're almost exactly tied in terms of their turnover percentage force versus turnover percentage themselves. So I'm going to keep an eye on that turnover stat more than maybe anything else. Although, I mean, it's fair to say that the three point percentage matters. It's fair to say that the rebounding matters, but, but that for me is going to be a, a big, big sign as to how the game is going. Particularly when you think about like some of the stuff with the turnovers, Versus who we've played so far, <laughs> who is not Tech, not Baylor, not Kansas, yep. stuff like that. So like when our, our turnover numbers are already not great and we haven't played the real meat and difficult uh, people in our conference yet. So what what happens when we face the truly elite teams in our league? So Yeah, and I just went through real fast and looked at the five losses Texas has. There's only one game where they lost where they didn't lose both the three-point percentage and the turnover battle. Uh, and that was Gonzaga. So each game that they lost, they lost the turnovers and the three-point percentage. And in Gonzaga, they just got outshot. I think Gonzaga had 50% of their th- entire shots, and Texas only hit 40. So really, you know, there were those four points we made. I think the two that really matter are turnovers and three points. And that kind of goes to Texas. one of Texas's main issues we've been harping on again this year, which is the athleticism. And the fact that Texas just doesn't have the athletes on this team that Texas fans are used to. They don't have any game erasers. Uh, I think after the Kansas State game, we had a Twitter space, or at least I did. And 
a guy from Texas Lutheran, the Texas Lutheran basketball team came on and he's a Texas fan. And he came on and he said, Texas was the second, uh, was the least, he came on and said, Texas was the least athletic team we have played uh, in D1. And they also played Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So not a good look for Texas athleticism. So he's saying they didn't have the bounce. They didn't have the speed. You've seen that when they played Oklahoma State the first time or when they played Kansas State the first time or in the second time where Kansas State was able to use the five out and dri- and you know just basically beat Texas to a spot to drive to the basket or Oklahoma State was able to stay in front of Marcus Carr or who- whoever to keep them from getting to the basket. That's sort of what happens with the athleticism and it really kind of when you're already playing with a you know, a rock fight sort of offense when you don't have a guy who is a game eraser, a game make, you know, a, a playmaker. It really, really makes it difficult to win games. Yeah, that's well said. And I think that there, when you, if you're going to play the style that we've been playing so far, which, you know, I know that, you know, this, the phrase hero ball is everywhere that people like just kind of talk about that, like almost any isolation, oh, hero ball, hero ball, like I get it, but like isolation and one-on-one stuff like is, is a facet of, in uh, a, a fixture of basketball, like at basically every single level. So I, I, I do take some exception with that. But if that's the style that you're going to go to, like having that baseline athleticism makes a difference, right? If you're quicker or bouncier or longer than the guy that you're, that who's guarding you, it, it could be difficult or it can, can make things a little better for you. So not having that certainly plays a role. Yeah. It's the difference between Matt McClung and Jarrett and Jarrett Culver. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's a, a little bit frustrating in that we actually saw a little bit of ISO ball in the Kansas state loss. And it was a good call that, that they made where, uh, you know, Marcus Carr was cooking and he was up against some fairly small dudes and they, they here and there, like towards the sort of under eight timeout, they actually played some ISO ball, uh, and let him work. And it wasn't until Kansas state sort of started, uh, putting bigger guys on him and changing things up a little bit. They went away from it again. And it, you know, I, it's possible to do it, uh, and be effective. And, and Texas did it for about a minute and a half. And that's a good spot to go into the good part of the past two games. Texas absolutely destroyed TCU and beat Oklahoma state kind of avenged their loss away. What went right in those two games? Um, very simply against Oklahoma State, um, we did a really good job of getting to the free throw line. The other part was <laughs> in Stillwater, Oklahoma State just made shots. Like, just kind of like straight up, they just made shots. And, we, you know, if, if a team's going to hit those three, those big three-point shots late in games, you're going to tip your cap and say, hey, this is what happens. They did not make those same shots in Austin. So without trying to kind of oversimplify what, what happened there or – or kind of shit on the game plan or anything like it's just like, hey, if they're not going to make shots, then you're going to have a chance to be more successful. I, I do want to spend more time on TCU just because that game is going to be a lightning rod, I think, for a number of reasons. And and obviously, for that game to have been such a dramatic victory, there were three things that I saw that, that we've been talking about a lot. You know, Johnny has been talking about one of the points, I think, in, in you know, quite a bit. I've been talking about the other two. Um, so we've been touching on them here, and it was... I was very heartened by that. So the first thing is they they got out in the move, right? So against TCU, like they really did a good job of 
accentuating live ball turnovers into fast break opportunities. Um, it felt like it looked like there was an impetus saying that, Hey, if it's one-on-one, we want that. Like if we can get one-on-one situations, there was even a couple of times where like, I think either Devin or Courtney or Andrew, like, like the defender was there and they still attacked in the open floor. And that was, that was awesome. So more of that is better, especially when you have an offense like ours. And it's almost like, you know, how when you talk about, uh, you know, uh, 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 like so, in football, a team gets a three and out, right? And then their then the, their defense has to get back on the field, and an offense like that can run the ball gets like, oh, well, now their defense is going to be on the field for like ten minutes. That's like the opposite for us. Like our defense makes the uh, the opposing offense play tough offensive ball for like twenty five seconds plus a lot of times. So when we can score quickly, so if we can score in like you know five to ten seconds, that means that you know over this stretch we're forcing their offense to execute against a set defense. And that can be kind of demoralizing when like, okay, you know, whether it's like crappy late shots and we get an easy bucket, crappy late shots. Oh, and then we get a three point, like whatever it might be. That just, that has that cumulative effect as well. So the first thing I would say is the getting out in the open floor. The next thing I would say is Timmy and, and Marcus is, were not as dom- ball dominant, which, which Johnny and I have been calling for, you know, a lot of the last few weeks is just, Hey, we can't, I just, Timmy in particular, it was like the world opened up before him yesterday. Like he was awesome on cuts to the baskets. He's he's such a good mover. He's got the mid range jumper. He's really good as far as like getting second chance opportunities. He's good at like getting drawing fouls. He's so crafty down low. And when you when you take the ball out of his hands as a playmaker, and he's not like his back to the basket, his ass facing the rim from twenty feet out, like you know pounding the rock or whatever. Like it just that's just he can do it, but that's really not where he shines. And against TCU, he was everywhere, and he's still so capable even without the ball in his hands. That was good. I thought I thought Marcus as well. So seeing seeing Courtney and Andrew was like, hey, we're we're not gonna over dribble. We're gonna try to move the ball quickly inside of our offensive sets. So again, open floor, and then Timmy and and Marcus uh, being a little bit less responsible for our ball handling, and then last one's Brock. Man, <laughs> yeah, I, I, Brock has been fantastic Brock, in that Brock game. Who? Who's, yeah, who's Brock? your your child. Okay. He, but here's the thing: like they they came out against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was was zoning Texas in the first half of that game, and and they were like working us. Like it was like the, I want to say what was it like a ten minute stretch inside the Oklahoma State game in the first half that we didn't score a point, um, and a lot of it was due to the zone. And so we come out in the second half, and I want to say it was Bishop and Mitchell and Allen in the second half starting lineup uh, against Oklahoma State. And I was like, oh, we're going big. Like, why are we going big? I didn't understand that, but it ended up working. But if you're if you're not gonna go like if you're not gonna play three guards, if you're not gonna have Marcus and Courtney and Andrew on the floor at the same time, if you're gonna go big, there is nothing that Christian Bishop brings that Brock can't do. Like, there's nothing. So, like, if you're going to go big, get Brock in there. Like, I understand not having Brock on the floor if you're going to play a shooters. Like, fine. I get it. But if you're going to go big, like, get his ass out there. Because people talk about Kevin Durant being, like, a walking bucket. Brock Cunningham is a walking possession creator. Like, he just creates possessions. (laughs) Right? Like, whether it's second chance opportunities on rebounds, whether it's getting a five-second call as a defender, whether it's getting his hands on deflections, like, whatever. Like, like if if you're going to go big, get Brock on the floor because he passes well. He's got great energy. And my heart was absolutely singing. Like, it was so quiet. Like, I know that TCU set some kind of record for how many people were in the stands. But at one point in this, I want to say it was in the second half, Brock does a baseline sweep. Andrew, I think, passes it to Courtney, and then Courtney gives it to Brock. Brock does a pump fake. 
the TCU defender runs by, Brock goes in and hits a, like a contested layup. And you hear Andrew and Courtland like, yeah, Brock. Like you could hear them on his, on, <laughs> on their channel. Like that, that's like, like there, you can tell just like his teammates really respect and, and love him with that kind of stuff. And that kind of the galvanization that he brings with that, that, that energy and all that kind of stuff. So I just, those were three things that we've been talking about a lot. Can we get out in the open floor? Can we maybe um, take a little bit less responsibility for Timmy and Marcus as, as, as primary ball handlers and then can we find reasons to get to get Brock in there and you saw that I just I was not surprised when those things met hey we had our our best I don't think it's a question that that TCU win was the best game of the season yeah I just kind of pile on the Brock love before we get to Johnny because Johnny you know he's gonna he's gonna let it out don't worry TCU students tried to start what was it little man Brock or little and I think right after that, what was it? What happened, Johnny? He had two offensive rebounds in the same possession. Yeah. Yep, and he ended up with a three. And then, what was it, 30 seconds left, Texas up by 21 points, ball on the floor. Dude's diving, diving for the ball. Like, Who does that? I think when you look, there's this one article out there that I, I look at for every white athlete. It is the like the white athlete descriptors or it's like he's a lunch pail guy he's gritty he's a coach's player he's a coach's son yeah what's up blue collar he's blue collar lunch pail yeah exactly yeah that that's literally brock cunningham yep yep yeah i i will uh i am okay with him trying to bring back jorts because it means that he can do whatever it's fine that's that's fine i you know um yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, there's two things. One is that uh, Oklahoma State is the first game of the season, at least in first of, of conference play, where Texas handily lost the turnover battle and won the game. Um, and that it's it's it is the the uh, outlier thus far. Um, part of that is as as we, we've mentioned the the fact that Texas got to the free throw line as much as they did. Um, part of it is that Oklahoma State did not hit threes worth the shit. Like I think they were two of nine in the game, which if an opponent is going to hit two threes against you and you're going to, you know, that, that, that gives you some room for error. Uh, as far as TCU, uh, to, to add on to what other people have said, uh, Texas went up against a team that is one of the maybe five best in the country to date in offensive rebounding and beat them at, at their own game. Uh, Texas, Texas also shot well from three. Like, you know, when it comes down to it, if Texas shoots 44% from three and rebounds 41% of their misses, they're going to win the game most of the time. Like those are some ridiculous numbers. I, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know how often we're going to see that from any team this season, much less Texas. Uh, but that's, you know, they, they went up against a team who I think they have a fairly good matchup against generally speaking, uh, in, in TCU and you know, they going big worked really well there because it allowed them to sort of, uh, you know, negate one of TCU's advantages, which is the size down low. Like as, as good as Lampkin is, he's one guy. And if Texas is swarming with, you know, whether it's Bishop or Allen, Brock, whoever, who, when those guys are swarming the defensive and offensive glass, they're going to beat him to some to some some rebounds and th- they did it and it worked out well and that you know that's part of the reason in addition to their just generally really good defense uh 
um, which you know we can talk a little bit about. But the the short version is that uh, they took the ball out of Miles' hand, and Ball was a turnover machine, and that was that that basically made it church by halftime. So. You know, it, it was a good game plan, and they did really well, and they performed about as well as we've seen them perform against anyone with a pulse this year. Well, and I gotta say too, fuck Chris Beard, like, because <laughs> this is part of it too. Like, I, and it's weird to say fuck Chris Beard off after their best game, but like, it did it did strike me at how much faster that it felt like we were playing. They scored seventy three points. Like, 73 points is not a lot. <laughs> like, damn you, Chris Beard, we're like 20 games in or whatever, and I'm already like, 73? Oh, my goodness. Wow, what an offensive outburst. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> like, 73, and they 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 let off the gas. I know it. Like, fuck you, Chris Beard. Like, what are you doing to me? Like, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I've got kids and a wife. Like, I don't need this shit. Was, uh, anyways, whatever. That's not my favorite part about him as a coach. But, yeah, that was, it just, it's, it's one of those things. Like again, we're not. We're. I don't think any of us are. Well, maybe Johnny. Johnny's a touch more vindictive than you and I will. But I would like we're not. Just a stage. I, <laughs> we're not. I told you so, folks. Right. That's not. That's sort of not like the idea of what we're trying to do here. But when when you see a game like that TCU game, and you see what seem what what appears to be some pretty simple answers, um. It's like, oh, I kind of thought that would work. <laughs> I kind of thought that Timmy would be really capable off the ball. I kind of thought that Courtney and Andrew, if they, you know, if they become primary passers as opposed to primary ball handlers, that we could see some good stuff. I kind of thought that if we get Brock on the floor, that he's going to make a lot of sense in what Beard is trying to do in the first place. Like, I kind, I think just like Christian Bishop can't finish lobs at the rim, neither can Brock. Like, I don't think like that's they, neither of them can do it. So that's fine. Like, what's the difference? So it just, it just feels like, yeah. Like these, these are things that make sense. Why aren't we seeing some of these changes a little bit earlier? Especially because they happen one game and that one game blows the roof off. 73 points, guys. Wow. Incredible. I think that rolls right into this next part we're going to go into, which is let's boil down the past four games. Just boil it all together. What can we take away from the last four games, the last two weeks here? What is this team and what is replicable? So I think... Um, <sighs> You know, with with the sort of highs and lows of the last four games all all put together, the math hasn't really changed for me. Like there, I have a a spreadsheet I put together prior to this this run of games, and actually it goes back uh, five games. It goes back to the the Oklahoma game, and I, I went out went through and said, okay, who do what what games do I think they're going to win or they're going to lose. Just sort of, it was sort of for me an idea of is there any danger of uh, them being on the bubble, that sort of thing. But basically, at this point, I, I'm treating it sort of like a golf score, where if they do what I expect, that's par. If they do better than I expect, that's one shot down. If they do worse than I expect, they're one shot over. Well, right now they're one shot over because the Kansas State game. That's that's the one I've missed th- thus far. Um, they they should have won all five of those games, in my opinion. Um, and and they won four of them, which is mostly good, but it doesn't really change or alter my view of the trajectory of the season of of who they are, what their ceiling is, what their floor is, right? Like it it, it maybe makes the floor a little lower, but that's it. So for me, it, you know, it hasn't really changed the math, right? Like this is because they're about to come into 
shit gets real, right? Starting with Tennessee, things get very real and they will be very real from here on out. And so um, if I'm going to alter my view of Texas as a seven through 10 seed, probably doesn't make it out of the first weekend of the March Madness kind of kind of team, um, now's when they get to start doing their shots at overperforming what I think they are. Um, what do I think is replicable? I don't think the TCU game is replicable. Um, I, because again, I, they have not, while they have improved in rebounding on both ends of the floor, they are much better at it than they were early in the season. They are still not elite at either side of that in defensive or offensive rebounding. And you don't really get more elite than 41% of your offensive rebounding chances gra- grabbing those, right? Like that's just that that's a number that would lead the nation or damn near it. So, you know, uh, do I think they're going to hit 44% of their threes against opponents going forward? Probably not. I, I think they're a capable three point shooting team. I think they're a capable rebounding team, but I don't think those, those marks are what we should expect going forward, especially as the, uh, the difficulty of the teams ramps up. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I am hoping that they outperform it, uh, these, these sort of baseline expectations of mine, because it would make the rest of the season more fun. Uh, but, but I'll, I'll, you know, it's, I'm, I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't have a whole lot to add other than I just, at this point we've played 11 games against, against high level competition. There's nine games that we played non-conference that if we played those teams a hundred times, we should win a hundred times. Like those teams are just objectively not good in comparison of the 11 games that we've played. We're six and five. Um, you know, the TCU game is, is an outlier for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, otherwise, I would say the five toughest games that we've played, maybe the TCU game notwithstanding, I suppose, we've lost. Uh, the five or six easier games of those 11, we've won. Um, but again, we, we, we keep on talking about it. We have not played Kansas. We have not played Baylor. We have not played Tech. <laughs> and there's some teams that are ranked lower than us in, in the conference that have played uh, some of those teams multiple times already. So from from a standpoint of, of what can we expect, what is replicable, what's not, you know, I, I still think when we played a truly elite team this year, we got worked. Now, we're very different in Game 22 than we were in Game 2, as, as are most teams across the country. But until we see it, it's tough to kind of take any apples to apples, right? Maybe more like apples to PCs. <laughs> We're having fun. A little computer joke for you guys. But um, so I think that it's just uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be you know wait until we see what can really happen. Yeah, I think it's it's and it to sort of put a put a you know a barometer here. It's not that Tim or I thinks this is a bad team. I think this is a team with a defined ceiling and a defined floor where it's like they're right at that margin of Q1 and Q2 in net where like anybody in Q1 they're probably going to be underdogs against anybody in Q2 they're probably going to be favorites against so like it's not you know that that puts them as sort of middle of the pack Big 12 which is not a bad place to be given how good the Big 12 is. Well, and we have a couple of obvious holes. Like we ha- we are missing a dynamic playmaker. We're missing a dynamic, uh, you know, big man. And while you don't have to have either of those things to win at a high level, 
those are those are two types of players that we just we just can't replicate like we don't have anybody that can that can create those type of looks and so minus those things again like you said you know early on will because we don't have that type of playmaking to to bail us out or to be there at the end of shot clocks or to whatever um our our recipe for success looks a little bit different. And so how can we maximize our sets? How can we figure out our personal rotations? How can we make sure that we are getting the right guys in the right spaces um, so that, hey, we, we, can, we can be at our best consistently? And TCU seemed like a pretty good step in that direction. But there's a difference between that and playing at Kansas. There's a difference between that and hosting Baylor. So, um, yeah. Here's something that we missed from last week's show. Uh, we asked last week, you know, who is Chris Beard? Like, what is, what are we going to get out of Chris Beard? And it was felt especially poignant after the loss to Kansas state. Uh, I still, I mean, after the TCU win, it, it, this probably makes sense, but Tim, you, you had some, some good words on that. So I'm going to ask you to repeat what you said. Yeah. And I, you know, people that are, have followed us for a long time. First of all, thank you. We, we really appreciate your patronage and we hope that, uh, we hope that you continue to, to enjoy what we put out there. Um, when Johnny and I were talking about Beard's hire in April, it, it again, I want to go back to this idea, like it's not an I told you so thing, right? It's, it's, it's more of like, hey, this is sort of what we think is going to happen. This is sort of what we, you know, because I don't know that people maybe really quite, quite understand how much time Johnny and I to actually devote to this, like how many hours and hours we spend watching these games, which does not make us unique. It's just like, hey, we actually truly spend a lot of time. With this. this matters to me. Um, I I care about about following the Big Twelve and following like the teams that Texas is going to play, and and so for the last handful of years, that's included watching Chris Beard teams. And I don't think it's I don't think it's over overstating it to say the reason that Chris Beard is here right now is because of his years two and three at Tech. Period. Right, so he was at Tech for five years. The reason that he is here is because in year two they made it to the Elite Eight. In year three they made it to the final. They were one point away from winning a national championship at Texas Tech in basketball, <laughs> uh, which is why he's here. Now the other three of the five years uh, are not why he's here. I don't think because one of the reasons I would say that is because Texas outperformed Chris Beard's teams. Uh, under Shaka in those years. Now, not to the extent that Chris Beard's Texas Tech team outperformed Shaka's the other two years, but but still, like he he was just okay, a worse worse statistically than Texas uh, those years. So, if you're going to bring someone in because of a two year sample size, and again, I Chris Beard is here because of two years. Period. He's not here because of last year at Tech. He's not here because of his first year at Tech. He is here because of years two and three. And that's if that's the case, then you have to ask yourself. What was the circumstance? So like, okay, so if he's here because of those two years, how likely is it? I'm about to say the word replicate like 50 times over the next three minutes, so I apologize. But just, if just, he's here... Just be- enunciate. Replicable. <laughs> right. Replicable. If he, replicable. Right. If he's here because of that, then we just got to make sure that we understand what, what led to those teams. So like, let me give you some things that I don't think are replicable, right? So number one, first of all, the best player on that Elite Eight team was Keenan Evans. Keenan Evans was not a Chris Beard guy. Like he was a, he was a holdover from Tubby Smith. There were a number of players on that team that were that were holdovers from Tubby Smith. Um, that's not really rec- replicable at this point. Uh, there was another guy on that Elite Eight team, a guy by the name was Zaire Smith. Zaire Smith was ranked 198th in his class. Not 198th by NBADraft.net, not 198th of all college basketball players, 198th in his incoming high school class. 
at the end of his freshman season, he was drafted in the NBA. He left and got drafted. So he was good enough to not only like leave, because plenty of people declare, but he was he was good enough after one season to be drafted. So they took a guy ranked basically number 200 in his class, and that guy was immediately good enough to go to the NBA. Jarrett Culver, who was also in that class, was rated below Jace, about 70th, right in that range. Uh, people got that wrong. He's better than Jace, <laughs> but he was ranked about 70th. By year two, he was Ken Palm's player of the year. So a number 70th ranked recruit in the country was so good, he was a first-team All-American and 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 Ken Palm's number one player, like a number one two-way player. Then you have a guy like Davide, Davide Moretti. Chris Ogden is on a recruiting trip over overseas. He happens to kind of see him in Italy. And uh, they he David Moretti's like, yeah, I'll come. I'll come to Lubbock, Texas. Why not? And he ends up going to Lubbock, Texas. And by year two, he's taking almost six and a half threes per game in conference and in the tournament, shooting 47%, like a top five to 10 shooter in the country as a sophomore from overseas. They have a guy named Matt Mooney who comes in. Matt Mooney had been, I believe, I think it was the Horizon or maybe Summit League, whatever he's in. He's the he's the defensive player of the year there. He comes into Tech, averages 12.3.5 assists, three, three rebounds immediately. Like, it translates immediately. Plus, he was first-team All-Big 12 defense. And they have a guy named Owens who comes in from, from St. John's, who was a fantastic defender at St. John's and is really good. But, like, all of these things that you just, like – Okay, can he replicate finding a guy ranked number 200 that ends up being so good that the NBA wants him after one year? That's not replicable. That never happens. Does a guy like ranked 70th become a national player of the year candidate after year two? I mean, it happens, but you can't replicate that. You can't rely on that. You can't rely on someone coming from a low major program like South Dakota State and then being able to replicate it at Texas Tech. Does it happen? Sure, it happens, but it's not something that you can rely on and count on. And I think that, you know, everything that you can't rely on a dude coming over, like, like happening onto a guy in Italy that you can then bring into your program and say, oh, this guy's going to shoot 50% as a volume shooter, like against high level defenses. This is going to be fantastic. That's not replicable. And that's what it took for Beard's staff to get to where they were. Now, first off, hats off to them. Like, kudos like they that like they maximized chris beard max took those guys and took them farther than rick barnes has ever taken even his best teams that included guys like lamarcus aldridge and daniel gibson guys like dj augustine and kevin durant like beard went farther than those guys so you can't take that away from his staff but you also have to understand the ridiculous midas touch that they had for those two years because then the rest of it becomes what has he done otherwise other than those two years he was worse than Texas uh, under Shaka. And so if he's not showing that he can recreate that kind of magic, and who knows how good Tech would have been this year, like with Beard, if he had been there, like I, I'm sure that they would have been very good again. But but regardless, like we just haven't seen it. So that's not to say that Beard is not capable or that he's not going to do great things. But those things that made him awesome in that two-year stretch, which is why he's here, those things that he did are not going to be redone. Or if they are going to get redone, it will be like a once in 20 or 25 years thing. That's not something like, oh, every five years, he's going to find Zaire Smith. Every five years, he's going to have a guy ranked in the 70s who's going to become a player of the year in a year or something like that. Like That's just not going to happen. And we're seeing right now that not not every low major player can come in and immediately recreate what they were capable of doing at a low level, and now all of a sudden they can do it at the Big 12 level. So it's, it's just... I. Chris Beard's great. I mean, there's there's no that's subjective. Like he's really, 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 really good. But we're paying him five million dollars, and 
And I still think even with that, he's going to have to prove that he's capable of doing something that he just hasn't shown yet because those two years are great. But I, but if you actually look at the context of those, I, I don't think that that's like a recipe for how he can win here. I don't know what that what that was, but it's not my five million dollars. So like, I don't care how much they pay Chris Beard, but I I agree with you on on every almost every single point. I, I think Tech Chris Beard is going to have to show that he can change his game plan and be successful with it, change his recipe for success and be successful with it. Uh, that's what elite coaches do. That's what good coaches, great coaches do, is they're able to take the players they have, change their team and their recipe to fit those players. We've seen it with Kansas. We've seen it with Kentucky. We've seen it. Well, you saw it at Texas in the 2000s. I mean, when you think about what Barnes did, he had that class of of Mouton and Thomas and Klotz and uh, Ivy and Boddicker, right? And he adds TJ4 to that, and they make they make the final like Sweet 16, Final Four, Sweet 16 in a three-year run. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Two years later, when they were back in the Elite Eight, it's an entirely new squad, and Barnes had brought them all in. Another two years later after that, it's an entirely new squad. Barnes had brought them all in. He had shown and proven during that particular decade that the common denominator was him, right? And his recruiting, but the common denominator was like, hey, I can I can find this level of success over, you know, not with the exact same players. Like I can take different players and patch them in together and we can make it work at a high level. And Beard, for all the great things he's done, has not proven, with the exception of that one time, that he can do that with different guys under different circumstances. That one amazing circumstance led to amazing results ever since then it's been about 500 in the big 12 or maybe a touch lower and we'll see how this year goes that's not to say that he's not capable but if you want amazing results the only amazing he's been is when they had that crazy Midas touch and so if we want to get back to Barnes in 2000s I I don't think that we can just assume that Beard is going to get us there because he hasn't really shown that that's you know and, and again there's only been one tournament since he went to the final, right? So, like, he didn't have a chance to COVID year. So, what was going to happen? I don't know. They were probably, but they were probably going to be like a 10 or 11 seed if they made it at all. Um, so, you know, it's it's tough to give him too much flack, but, you know, we'll we'll see. Yeah. It, it we're just show us, right? Like, hey, you know, we'll believe it when we see it sort of thing. Like, you have to prove that you are the common denominator, as you said, the guy who is responsible for it. Johnny, finishing touches here. No, I think Tim pretty much fucking nailed it. Like I, there's, there's, yeah, no, I'm good. He, he did fine. Cool. Well, let's listen to Tim some more because Tennessee is coming to Texas now. Now, real fast, who do y'all think is the real UT here? Because I know Tennessee, their entire like the volunteers are talking about. Hey, they volunteered to help free Texas. They were the first. They were a university before Texas, but I mean, when you th- when you hear UT and when, when the layman hears UT, not the Texas fans, who do you think they think of, Texas or Tennessee? It, it's definitely Texas. 
outside of a, a like a chunk of the eastern time zone, it's Texas. And which orange is better? Let's well, look at this in like objective, or, like you know, like let's look at this like objective, like fashion or like like pleasant to the eye orange. Yeah, like one of those is much better if you're trying not to get you know hit by a car when you're driving when you're riding down the road, and the other is burn orange. So that's outside of utility. <laughs> it's it's definitely it's definitely burn orange. Well, that's Oklahoma State. I think is it, it Tennessee feels more like I mean they're not that far like off. baby blue yeah. but orange. Yeah, no, they're like not baby no because baby blue is awesome. So that's it's definitely yeah, not. Baby. It. It's no, no, no. It just doesn't work. It, it like, you know, not everything works when you try to go a certain way. You know, we've seen we've seen the Texans try to do that with the Pats coaching staff. Like it, like putting the Pats in into Houston doesn't doesn't work. Just like putting the baby into orange doesn't work. Ah, uh, I I've driven through Knoxville. I've stopped and eaten at a Waffle House in Knoxville. It's kind of a shithole. Like you know, it's a college town. So hooray for that. But uh, yeah, it's like, I, and I think that Johnny's right. Like it's just. It like Tennessee. If you live in Tennessee, or at least parts of Tennessee, it moves the needle. But like, not not in basketball, not in football. I mean, maybe in tennis. Honestly, like like Tennessee is a is a huge name in the SEC. But otherwise, like they're not a they're not a big name um, in the SEC. Who more recently won a tennis national championship? Oh, Texas, te- Texas, of course, easily. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, but yeah, I think Tennessee is ranked number one right now in men's tennis, so it, it is what it is. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just no other team has burnt orange, right? Like that, or I don't know. but I will say, I wish that Texas could kind of get their shit together as far as like actually having a burnt orange. Like, why, why is there always this question of burnt orange? And like, like, is the burnt orange on the field or not? I mean, there's a hex code for it. So <laughs> it's pretty specific. So why can't we have that on the field? Like, why can't, why can't they have actual burnt orange on the a DKR? I, I think if you, if, if you spend time looking at whether or not that's actually burnt orange on the field, you're not paying attention to what the football team's doing. So that's probably a net win for everybody. <laughs> 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 but, Oh, look at that Oklahoma player running straight past that not burnt orange. Why is that not burnt orange? That isn't actually burnt orange. I don't know why we're looking at that. That makes me angry about that color. (laughs) (laughs) But the better, the the more important thing about this game is it is the return of Rick Barnes. Now, Rick Barnes in Texas had sort of a, I don't want to say it was like a, a rough separation, but it wasn't great. So what is the legacy of Rick Barnes here? I know it's not bad. It's definitely a great legacy. But Tim, can you put it into more specific terms? What is the legacy of Rick Barnes? Can we just take a moment that Will's first comment was, it's not bad. It, it was it was disappointing. It was disappointing. And it was because it was so good. Like that... The run from 2001 and, uh, well, I guess the 0102 season all the way to 2011. I mean, I know that 2011 wasn't great, but how it ended. But, uh, but like that was that the the confluence of that and then how good Max football team had been at that time was just a very special time to be a Texas fan. <laughs> like it was it was pretty magical. And I think what what Barnes was so good at is is obviously he was able to take his ability as a recruiter 
and bring in these five-star, really, really talented future NBA, not even just like NBA, like but future NBA, like like all-stars, um, and get them to buy into their system, right? Like get them to buy into like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna defend really hard, we're gonna rebound really hard, we're gonna play, you know, we're gonna play a very specific style of of um, of basketball, and that was. I think it was a game that or a type of play that a lot of Texas fans resonated with because they were so successful from a win loss standpoint, um, and and certainly it never you know just the one Final Four just the one again that sounds pretty pompous but um, you know I don't think I think even Rick Barnes would say like for how good they were cooking for a while I I kind of almost felt like a title was gonna happen like hey well, I don't think we're gonna win a lot of titles but it kind of felt like hey we're we're on a we're we're on a thing where like okay every other year we're in the elite eight well that probably means that someday something's gonna break through and then of course it just didn't um you know and if, like like every single coach like just about every single coach it's it doesn't end very well like there's maybe what probably 10 15 coaches ever that things have ended for really well otherwise what happened to rick is what happens to coaches at pretty much every stop eventually you go away like eventually you just you know, you don't win quite enough, or you can't you can't sustain the level. But um, you know, it's I, I still think it's it's obviously still only what we're seven years beyond where when Rick was here, and and obviously he's not just coaching, but he's coaching a team that is currently ranked higher than it's we are. Twenty, if you include. Yeah. COVID. <laughs> um, so I think that how how fans respond to him and how how like the larger fan base as a whole will be thinking about him will be interesting to to see, you know, what that's like. I'm certain that Beard will be very complimentary and, and like they'll probably have like multiple things on, you know, on game day or whatever about about him coming back and stuff. But um I, I do I when he left it was time to go. When he left it was time to go. And that does not negate how incredibly special that decade from two thousand one to two thousand eleven one. It was truly special basketball and a lot of amazing players that I've had a lot of fun watching play professionally over the last couple decades too. So um, I guess that's the legacy for me is, is, you know, mixed bag. Uh, the end was not great, but man, it was an absolute joy for, for a long time. So um, he is without caveat, the, the best coach Texas has had. Um, he uh, should have his name on the court at the new arena. Um, I, I know they're going to do some pregame thing for him uh, at the game. They haven't announced it yet, but there's there's something coming. Um, if, I have advocated for this since before the season began that the easiest win possible is put his name on the court at the new arena. Um, I, I don't know if Beard is going to be up for that because, you know, maybe he has designs on having his own name there, but you know, nonetheless, like Barnes needs to be, and Barnes is still coaching and it doesn't matter, you know, playing like it, against it, it doesn't matter. Like, look, if Eddie Sutton was still coaching at Kentucky, Oklahoma state still would put his name on the court, right? Like it's, there's a certain point at which you got to acknowledge that someone is clearly the best coach of the men's program that has ever been there. Right. And, and he's that for Texas and it is going to take beard long enough to surpass him if he ever does, that Barnes may be dead at that point. Like, he's not 40, you know? <laughs> it's going to take... If Beard is going to try and match what Barnes did, it's going to take 15-plus years for him to get there, right? Like, that's just sort of how it is. And especially if Beard is as... Uh, 
dedicated to this whole unite the family and for the culture shit that he talks about, this seems like a pretty easy win. But nonetheless, I, I think to put this in some perspective is, I you know, I have been doing this March Madness programs ranking thing for you know, several years at this point. And every, after every tournament, I update it. And it's it's got a point system you can go see, and it gives you an idea of who the top 25 programs are from, of all time. Like, the top four are not going to surprise you. It's basically every year since, like, 85 when it went to 64 teams. And it, so we are now nearly at 40 years in. Um, to put a, a point of perspective in as far as how good Barnes was at his peak. Um, his run, from that seven-year run from the 2002 to 2008 NCAA tournaments, uh, he ranked above Syracuse, Duke, Michigan State, and some others in that, in that run. Like, he was, av- he was not only making the tournament every year, he was making runs, he was, he was winning games, he, he made a Final Four, he made a couple of Elite Eights, like he he had NBA draft picks by the the boatload, and he was as Tim mentioned he was making it all mesh. Like that seven year span is without question the height of Texas basketball in the last hundred years, without question, right? And ultimately he fell victim to raising the bar that high because he was not able to replicate it later. Um, and, and, and as Tim said, when he left, it was time for him to go. And, you know, it's, it was the right call at the time, but we should also all really understand that he is the reason that Texas is where it is. And he is the reason why, uh, Texas is even relevant right now, as opposed to this sort of sleeping giant they've talked about forever and ever. And it is incumbent upon beard or whoever is after beard that they have to match Barnes, match or surpass Barnes. And none of them have yet. Shaka didn't beard may or may not. And whoever's after him may or may not, but they they need to understand that, that Barnes is the bar and they need to honor him on Saturday as if he is the bar to which all of them have to surpass. So beyond Rick Barnes, Beyond, I think that was well said, Johnny. But beyond Rick Barnes, who is this Tennessee team that Texas will be playing on Saturday? So it is, in a lot of ways, a, a pretty vintage Barnes team in that they are defense first. The offense is a bit up and down. Uh, they are um, they are pretty good at taking care of the ball. They force a lot of turnovers. Uh, he has a freshman, Kennedy Chandler, who is probably a one-and-done, I would guess. May might stick around a second year depending on how the draft feedback goes but he can um, really really play make <laughs> so, so. yeah he's i mean he's not i he's not tj ford he he may not be dj augustine but he's he's really good like and and it is going to be incumbent upon texas to try and keep him in check He he's a passable three-point shooter but not great so you know it, it's not like you have to really play him from 28 feet outs or, so, or something like that. Uh, there, there's him. He is sort of the engine of the whole thing. Uh, Viscovi is a junior they have who hits a lot of threes. He's uh, he, he's a very good secondary player. Uh, and then from there, it's just a question of you got to – you got to – they are not afraid of shooting the three. They make a, 
uh, you know, a decent amount. Like they're they're up and down. They're sort of middle of the pack in D one in in that respect. But uh, when they get hot, they start getting really hot and they can blow a team out. Um, it, but really, honestly, like this this is going to come down to who dictates tempo because Tennessee plays a much faster game than Texas. Uh, who forces the turnovers? Because if Tennessee forces turnovers, they're going to get out and run. Texas may or may not. We'll see. Um, but I, I really think the turnover battle is going to be a, a big deal for them. Yeah, I don't think it will be like the Spider-Men pointing at each other. But I do think that there's you know, there's going to be some some similarities in how we want to play. I mean, both coaches are defense first. Both coaches want to control the glass. Um, Tennessee is going to be a little bit more athletic, and they have the better playmaker from an individual standpoint. So how much that does or doesn't make a difference, I guess we'll see. Um, as much as I think Texas is going to want to win this game because it's going to, could really potentially help them to get a key one win with that, would be their best win pretty unquestionably, I think, uh, at least as far as the best opponent. But I think that Tennessee will want to win too, right? They probably love Rick. <laughs> and so his players are going to want to, you know, send him out a winner here too. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think it's going to be a, uh, you know, pushover by any stretch. Not that anyone really would imagine that to be the case. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they're prone to some, some pretty shitty offense just as we are. Like they, uh, they run some, some sets that are like, what the hell are we doing? But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be, it's going to be a question of execution, right? So. Uh, we talked about those four facets at the beginning of the podcast, and that'll probably be what it is. Yeah, I think this is going to be, this game is important, not just because of sort of the whole Barnes thing around it, but because if Texas ends up at the end of the season on the bubble like they may, this is this would be a big win for them. This is going to be, without question, it's going to be easily their biggest win in on conference play. Uh, if they win it. And so that like, they really need to, to, to get this because if they don't, then their entire non-conference schedule is just shit and it doesn't matter. And so they're entirely incumbent upon conference play. So they, they, they need to win this game. I, I mean, I, I know that Ken Palm puts Texas as a slight favorite. I feel like it is at best a coin flip. I would give Tennessee the sort of slight advantage, but that's, that's kind of where we're at. All right, so I think that's Tennessee. I think we got Tennessee all wrapped up here in a nice, neat bow. Uh, we, we've gone over basically everything Tennessee. Is that right? Yeah. Country music sucks, but go ahead. Okay, cool. Let's get to the real, real big game coming up. And, I, I mean, I, I think everybody is excited for this game just because the raw and pure vitriol that radiates from Lubbock is is. It's palpable. We can feel it in the air. You can feel it. I just can't wait for Texas to get in that building and just see what happens. I can't wait for Chris Beard, the guy who scorned Texas Tech. I would say as hard as Lincoln Riley, but I don't know. No, it's Lincoln more Riley. like if Barry Switzer left Oklahoma. That's that's more what it's like. Yeah, yeah, but Four Barry Texas. Switzer went to like. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Right, so uh, the it's it's unimaginable what what could happen in that game. What what is how what people feel? Like I I can't imagine that as a Texas fan. Um, so I'm really excited to see what that environment is like, y'all. That's gonna be insane. I, I I'm really I mean for 
a million different reasons I wish coronavirus was not a thing, but especially right now because I would have 100% gone to that game just for the 120 seconds of right before player introductions through coaching introductions just to absorb what happens there because that is like some generational hate that is going to happen. That's some Hatfield-McCoy shit that is going to happen. Somebody needs to record that. I, I want everybody. Look, it. if you are, I don't care if you're a Texas fan, if you're a tech fan, if you're a dude working at the game as security, everybody needs to record every second of that and send it to me because I need RIP it all. RIP to the security. RIP to the security. I don't know if they can sell alcohol in Lubbock. I don't know if they've gotten to this this century yet, but I, mean, I don't RIP think they have to. to. The yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like I, they, they. they and I, you know, to to text credit, they're bringing in Nature Boy Ric Flair on the mic for this because how else could you amp this up more? Except, I I mean I don't I don't know how, how would you do, like Buddy Holly coming in and being like fuck Texas or something right? Like I don't I don't know how you could build this anymore. Like I, it's I really wish I was there. I really wish I could have gone to that. Like the fact that tech that the Big Twelve put this on a Tuesday night is bullshit. Like this needed to be a Saturday night eight p.m. game where it's just like that people might have died in the parking lot. Like this is this is gonna be awesome, <laughs> regardless of outcome. Like that's it's gonna be awesome. It's just just a just heat flames flames coming from a face. Like it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, uh, you know, you <laughs> you wonder when, when so Chris Del Conte meets uh, Beard at a McDonald's, wherever the fuck they meet and, like, and have breakfast that morning that they get, that Del Conte gets him to sign or something like He's that. <laughs> Cudgel fuck yeah. Texas or whatever, yes. And, like, you just, you wonder, like, if that moment, like, at what moment did Beard actually think about this game? Because it's, I mean, obviously he thought about it sometime. Like, did he think about it before he took the job? Did he think about it, like, after he took the job? Like, like what? <laughs> took it after they took, like, oh, 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 oh God, fuck. that's going to be tough <laughs> oh. stuff. I don't, like, I don't even know. Like, I can't even imagine. <laughs> but whenever, I wish, I do, I, as much as Johnny wants a, a video of, of what happens there, I want a video of, of him coming to that realization. Like, of him, like, letting that sink in. To his uh, very core and essence of like, oh my God, here it comes. Uh, so yeah, I think it's fascinating. You know, <laughs> I will join the metaverse if this somebody gets me some like seven dot one surround sound of that intro. <laughs> That 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 becomes like the yeah the Dolby surround sound before every movie now like just like, like before. <laughs> I just want to watch the Marvel movie, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be wild, man. I I can't imagine what what the you know like you said the vitriol should be crazy, like how I mean and Texas Tech is legitimately good too, so it's gonna be. It's going to be really fun. And now I, I do think from a standpoint of, of all the things that you may well say about about uh, this Texas team and what they do or don't have, I would imagine that you can't – I mean, I know that you probably – it will be a different environment than anywhere they've ever been. But, like, these are not guys who have never played in hostile environments before. Like, these are guys that – None of them have played in something. You don't think like the Breslin Center, like Michigan State, like when they're playing Minnesota? Maybe not. I don't know. But 
No, no, no way. No, no way has hey, like hey. this is this is Duke versus UNC, but but Roy Williams went and chose Duke for a game <laughs> or something. Like it's like Roy's first visit back to Duke after or Coach K's first visit back yeah. to Duke after taking the UNC job. This is what I, it is. yeah, no, no doubt. But like certainly they have been in tough environments. Like I if this was if this was a team of like eight freshmen. And then Courtney and Andrew, like I would, like oh they yeah, exactly. Shit it's at the very least the fact that like we got a bunch of like twenty-two year olds on this team. <laughs> From that standpoint, like you're hopeful that that can help them some. Like I don't think Andrew Jones, for all the things that maybe he's never seen with this, he's not going to walk into that place like scared. Like like that dude looked. Andrew Jones. Right, he looked leukemia in the eye, and, and like so, like I, I do, I do from that standpoint. I and that was about a hundred and ten percent of what he's going to see in <laughs> Lubbock. He's going to be ten percent more than leukemia is what they're like. That's the, the leukemia is ten percent more than what the Lubbock fans are going to throw at him <laughs> in this game. Like, okay, leukemia will get me just over the hump of this. All right, good. Everybody else, if you can get leukemia in the next couple days, it was, we'll, we'll knock this out. Yeah, not a whole lot more to add. I'm, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see how we defend Bryson Williams. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see like what leftover and residual effect uh, T.J. Shannon's kind of shitty end of the Kansas game will have on him because he's just kind of a flow player and he's a guy that like can can come and go a little bit. So um, how he bounces back from that will be interesting. Uh, McCullough has been a little bit more up and down than I thought he would be. Um, so like there's, there's certainly there's chinks in the armor for Texas tech. There's plays that we can attack them, but, um, you know, we've struggled with turnovers as, as Johnny has pointed out a number of times and I have too. um, how do we do with that in this kind of environment against this kind of crowd? Because you go back to the Gonzaga game where those guys, it was a Saturday night, those fans were, you know, the first time they really got a chance to watch a, like a meaningful home game there in Spokane. And this team, I don't want to say folded, but just like we got punched in the mouth and it was done. Like that was a that was a first round knockout in Gonzaga uh, or at Gonzaga. Um, and so what do we do this time? Like how are they able to, to kind of make it work? So, um, yeah. yeah I, I- I think it's. I, I mean, I think with the the defense that both teams play, this is. I, I would be surprised, especially given the the sort of take the under. If, take the under. Well, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I haven't looked at what it is. Unless if the under is one hundred and thirty, then absolutely take the under. But um, I, I feel like with the questionable offense both teams run and the really stout defense both teams run, it's gonna be. Yeah. I have a hard time imagining one team blowing the other out, right? Like I, I think that's, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if tech gets out to an early lead uh, because of the fans and everything going on. And, you know, maybe Texas try, fights his way back in and we go from there. But I mean, you know, on a neutral court, I think tech is the better team than Texas this year. And especially right now, because they just about took out a really good Kansas team in Lawrence. So uh, it would have been the third time Kansas got swept in the Big 12 uh, in the last time. Was Texas. Maybe want to get? Yep. Last year. Yep. Yep. Last time was yep. Texas, uh, including the uh, best Kansas-Texas game of all time. Um, yeah. Period. Period. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Shut your I mouth. I don't know. Better than Corey Joseph and Jacobin, my guy? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because it was just unadult. It was, it was just – 
It was just a two-hour yeah. masturbation fest. It was is amazing. self still just, your a- AV or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, I came like four times in the second half. It was amazing. Uh, I ran out of Vaseline. So um, <laughs> it was, I, you know, I, I think I, I just, I'm, I am going to really enjoy that game for about a million different reasons, and I, I cannot wait to see how it turns out. I, I mean, I think Texas is probably going to lose it just because Tech is a really good team this year. And Texas, I, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to deal with Bryson Williams. And if, if Shannon goes off, then everything else gets easier for everybody else. Um, you know, if arms starts doing arms things, who knows? Like, I, I just feel like this is one of those games where Texas is, is losing the athleticism battle again. And, I, unless they do what they did against TCU of, you know, snagging every offensive rebound in sight and, and hitting a, a bunch of threes then or a high percentage of threes, then it's probably Tech's game to lose would be my guess. Come on, Brock Cunningham. Do your fucking thing. <laughs> like, be, like, I don't know, like, like arguably... Out- Brock puts up a 6-10-8 line. <laughs> yeah. And just is on, like, every loose ball, like, fighting for rebounds on the floor or whatever, like, just, like, give them something to hate or whatever and give give his team something to rally around. So, come on, we need you, my guy. What is Texas going to watch out for in this Texas Tech game? Is this, is this the Spider-Man pointing at the other Spider-Man meme here? Because I know Texas has, on paper, a better offense, but Tech has, that on paper, a better defense. What am I looking for for Texas to win this game? Well, I th- without without trying to say like, hey, we can we can take two a game against two different opponents and recreate that same kind of game. I do think I want to see a lot of the same stuff. You you have to find ways to to create easy baskets against Tech. If you if you go into a game against Tech, you're like okay, we're gonna out execute you. That's tough anywhere, but it's especially going to be tough on the road in that environment. So, can we get on the in the open floor and like finish like convert some opportunities with that? Um, how well do we do we move the ball early in possessions? Because uh, again, if they make if 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 they're able to make us be like late clock uh, offensive situations, like I, I don't I don't know. Um, so. I do think there's a blueprint from that TCU game that could be really good for us because, uh, again, if we're going to be, if I'm going to sit here and say we've got a number of guys on this team who have really high hoops IQ, who are good movers, like just, just you know, they just they really are intelligent players. That's awesome as long as we're putting in them in situations where they can use that intelligence to kind of be to be executional, um, and and I think that that there was a blueprint for that against TCU where again we 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 keep Timmy Allen off the ball we allow um we allow Brock to kind of do his thing both defensively and and as like you know like a like a freelancing guy on offense we we find ways to get uh the ball in Courtney and Andrew's hands early in in shot clocks we you know that kind of stuff so um I think if if we're able to to take some of the some of the positives from that TCU game it's good if we find ourselves you know, like if Timmy Allen gets in foul trouble, oh no, right? Or if Courtney has a, uh, you know, kind of like a hero ball playing like a jackass game, oh no. Or if Andrew shoots one for eight, oh no. Like, and all those things are entirely possible. <laughs> like, like none of those is even like all that unreasonable to say. Um, so I, I think it's certainly a game where we're going to have to like, we, we just can't have some of those really negative things happen to us. 
Um, but if we're able to, to control what we can control and then some of those ways, like finding ways to get easy baskets when we can, uh, yeah, there's, there's a look. So there are two ways that tech can be had. Uh, one is that they are not a great rebounding team, uh, especially when Bryson spends his time on the perimeter. So if Texas can approximate something like what they did against TCU in terms of rebounding on both ends of the court, uh, that allows them some opportunities. Uh, they, they, they could do uh, they could do some good things there. Uh, the other thing is that uh, T- uh, Texas Tech is not a great three-point shooting team. In fact, they are through the first few games of conference play, they are the worst three-point shooting team uh, in the Big 12. So uh, if they can keep uh, if they can keep Tech from from hitting those those outside shots, that's good. And there's actually the, the the third one, which is really sort of what I want to get to, is that Tech doesn't have a point guard. They're just sort of they they got wings and they got other guards who are sort of playing the point guard position. But they don't really. So like, so like Texas and every other medium team in college basketball, like who really has a point guard these days? No, no, I mean like literally, they don't have a point guard. Like they do not have a dude who handles the ball as a point guard. Like they have guys like McCuller and other guys who bring the ball up the court. But when the games get tight, and this is part of what bit them against Kansas is that they didn't have a, a guy who's used to being the floor general. And that's, that's one of their weaknesses. Like if you look at who is, is running their, 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 their point guards are according to Ken Palm over the past five games are Terrence Shannon, Adonis arms and, and Malik Wilson, or Malik Wilson, like Clarence Adoli might be a point guard kind of, but like, None of these guys are actual, like, quote-unquote, point guards. It's not like a Marcus Carr situation where it's like, oh, well, he's a volume shooter who can be point guard and yada, yada, yada. No, they don't have a point guard. Like, they, they're, it's a very unusual roster construction. And so if Texas can get down to the last minute or two of the game and it is a two- to four- to five-point game, then maybe they out-execute and they can steal one because – you know, Tech is just sort of, they're, they're doing it. It's an unorthodox team, and it's it's a really interesting team, and it's got some very interesting pros and cons, and one of those is that there's nobody, like, there's there's not a, like, they don't have TJ Ford sitting on the bench or something. It's just, they don't have a point guard. Interesting. I think we'll end off on that. Uh, any any words, final words on the Texas Tech game, Tennessee games here? Just, just... They shouldn't win them. I would put Texas as an underdog in both of them, um, but certainly, yeah. yeah, winnable games. Um, I do think they'll be well, pretty instructive as far as as far as what we can really get because they will. This these will be the two best teams we've played since Gonzaga, I think. And so, um, yeah. so hey, how do we look against teams of this caliber that can match us as far as some of our skill sets, and then also maybe take us a rung up. Uh, as far as athletically, so uh, a good a good precursor to what we may well see as the as the rest of the conference slate comes around. This this is a this is a the start of a pretty rough like five game stretch where Texas could conceivably very easily go one and four. So if they can take either or both of these games, that will raise their ceiling on the on the season. Winning either or both of these games would probably 
definitively put them in the tournament down the road. So they have opportunities. And this is sort of what we're talking what I was talking about earlier about the sort of the golf score of if they want to get back to par or under par, this is where it starts. So um yeah, it's it, there are plenty of opportunities. Let's go win the Masters. Thank y'all for pretending we were I guess golf for the past hour. Thank you again to Brittany M and Cole C who support us through our Patreon, uh, the Hornscast Patreon. Uh, we really do appreciate y'all continuing to support this show and you know, the reason we are here. Uh, and if you want to talk with us, we're also on the Hornscast discord. So go ahead and hang out there. But I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. Mr. Johnny Bashir, where can we find you? Uh, I think everybody already found me on Twitter based on my replies. Uh, you can find me uh, <laughs> at BitterWhiteGuy on Twitter, uh, BitterWhiteGuy.substack.com. Uh, I have a Patreon if you are done uh, with, if you've already put in money into Will, uh, I, I could use a couple bucks here and there, you know, because we're both clearly poor people. Uh, you can also find me pretty much anywhere else, Twitch, Reddit, wherever, under the same name, because... I have no imagination. And remember, he hates Chris Beard and Texas. I will I will knife you straight in the face. <laughs> Tim? Just like Chris Beard. Wait, no, no, no. <laughs> edit that. Edit that. Uh, uh, on Twitter, Inside Texas Hoop, no S. And on InsideTexas.com, awesome community, awesome people. Come hang out with us. Thank y'all for listening to us. We will see y'all next week. Hook em. Hook em horns. <laughs>